Hey, welcome to the Revo Church Podcast. We are so glad you decided to join us today, wherever you are. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's message. When I was in Bible school, they taught us as pastors not to be transparent with people. And that literally, they they would teach us to get like, touch not the anointed. Ministry is lonely, stay away from people. Uh, I'm 62 years old, so this is back in the 80s, the late 80s, when they would teach us to, you sit in chairs on the stage and you stay away from people and, and, um, and you just give them advice. So if you're going through a difficult time, that you just pray through it and, uh, and you just, that's what leaders do. And I remember struggling with that even in Bible school because I like people, maybe not as much as Charles, but I'm, I'm probably close to it. I just love people. It's kind of a Cajun thing, I guess, but, but I would raise my hand. Can I have any friends? Why can't I have any friends? No, you can't have friends. And I was thinking, I'm gonna hate this gig. And then, so I got, I graduated from Bible school. I went into ministry full-time and got married all in the same month in April uh, 1988. Our first year of marriage, and Charles is not referring to his marriage. His marriage is solid. And Mariah, thank God for you. I just, I, I love you, your, your family. And uh, would you give it up for our godly family? I really appreciate that. But, but the first year of our marriage, my, my wife and I, was not good. And uh, I, I remember going through this, this whole season, like no one in the world knew that my, my marriage was falling apart. And if you ever meet my wife, it would shock you that we could have a bad marriage because she is a peacemaker. She's very kind and smart and very pretty. Woo! And, uh, but it was, it was very uh, difficult year. We would go into a small group and we would argue the whole way there. And I would look at her and say, listen, we got to walk in with a, you know, we got to get this together. And people would come to us and say, we wish we had a marriage like you. And I'd have my arm around my wife thinking, no, you don't. <laughs> and um, so to get transparent with you, there was one time when my pastor asked me to speak at Bethany World Prayer Center, 6,000 seat auditorium. I was a youth pastor. I had never preached to more than 300 people. And so I was like, how do I do this? And that day I walked through our living, our living room. This was about a year after we were in ministry and Michelle said something to me that it just set me off. I don't have a bad temper, but that day I said, Michelle, man, I hate I said this to her. But I said, Michelle, I'm trying to work on a sermon in the other room. I said, you know, sometimes I regret even marrying you. And I said something like, I think you just need to shut up right now. And so I went back in my office to find a sermon. I was under a lot of stress. No one, I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't make a move like Charles did. And, uh, and I could hear my wife crying in the other room. And I, and I didn't know what to do. I was confused about ministry and who to talk to. So I knew the Lord told me to go and apologize to her. And I didn't even know how to say I was sorry. If you want to know how to spell pride, it's B-E-Z-E-T. That's my last name. And uh, so I went in and didn't, she's crying. I'll never forget her bottom lip. 
None of this is in my notes. I didn't even share this at the first service. But I saw her bottom lip. Man, it was, and I knew I did that. And I told her, Michelle, I'm sorry. And she looked at me and she said, listen, I'm with you for life. But who are you? Were you being real when you would write me poems when we were dating? Or are you being real when you tell me to shut up and that you regret marrying me? Were you being real when you said the vows? Or are you being real when you argue with me? Were you being real uh, when you brag about people, about me in a small group or when you preach? Or are you being real when we're arguing at home? She goes, I'm with you forever, but who are you? And I told her, I said, I don't know. Well, what really got weird is I went back in my office and I don't hear God's voice much, but I felt like the Lord said, listen, I want you to tell everybody at church what you said to your wife in the living room. And that's when I said, God, that's not how you do ministry. God, I went to Bible school. They told you never to get oh, transparent. God, you need to go to Bible school. They'll clear that up in the first <laughs> semester. And so I decided not to do it. And the sermon was going so bad that I literally said, hey, guys, is this not going well? And they all said, no, it's not at the same time. So I closed my Bible and I told them the story I just told you. Except when I told them, it was two days later. And now that I'm telling you, it was 36 years ago. And I looked at Michelle in the front row and I said, Michelle, this is who I am. And I'm sorry. And I just want to tell you something. It was in that moment that I felt the arms of God go around me. Like, this is my boy. Thank you for being a pastor who said something truthful about their life. And it was since then that our marriage got back together, although your, your marriage is still strong. But I was transparent, and that's what you did. And I just want to say, thank you. Because you're giving God something to work with. And you're... You're so, like, you're an adrenaline junk. You get up every day and go 100 miles an hour. And, and, and the Lord said that we should work. It's, you work six days a week, work, 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 and then you rest. Some of you rest, 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 and work a little bit. But that's not this brother. He is, he goes. And I just want to challenge you in front of everybody here to pace yourself now that you know how to do it. Listen to your friends because you love ministry and pastoring is so hard. You guys think you're all nice and not, you're hard to pastor. <laughs> and so is every church. And a pastor is someone, if you have 99 that are doing well and one that is broken down, you're thinking about the broken down one and it's hard to keep up with. How many times has my family we finally got in our car to go away and someone pull in the driveway who was suicidal? Well, you don't say, sorry, we're going on a vacation or we're trying to rest. You turn the car off and you help them. So how do you figure out that pace? And the fact that you stood in front of your congregation and you told them the truth, I just honor that in Jesus' name. And would you honor him with me? Because that's exactly how you grow as a pastor. So, because the early church, the Bible says, I'll tell you how you grow. And he added to them daily those who were being saved. But he said this, he said, you grow by 
meeting together in church, also in small groups, and you do it with a glad and sincere heart. The way you draw near to God, and some of you haven't, draw, you haven't been drawing that near to God in a while, the way you do it is transparent. I guarantee you, when he was sharing his heart with you, he was growing in his relationship with God. So I want to talk to you about how you can do it. And the reason why I struggle sometimes in my faith is because I grew up in a church that was very legalistic. Like I was thinking during worship, would you give a hand to his worship team? I mean, it, there, was, there was three, this is a three-piece band up here. You had, you had a bass, you had an acoustic guitar, and you had a drummer. And it sounded like a full band. You had two singers who did a great job as well. And when you guys get to heaven, you're going to want to come back here on the weekends to worship with your team. And, but it's, it's just, it's a very important thing that everybody understands their role as we move forward. But I grew up in a church that was nothing like this. I was thinking, if I, could have grew, if I would have grown up in a church like this, I would be so much more confident in my relationship with God. But I grew up in a church where it's like a prerequisite to go to that church, you had to hate people. The meanest person in the church was my Sunday school teacher. I've talked about her all over the world. And, and she hated me, man. She hated her old class. When I was eight years old, she was, became my Sunday school teacher. And she told everybody right away, something about Rick B's that I don't like. And there was a lot about her I didn't like either. But, but then the next year, I got out of that class and she moved to nine-year-olds. And then the next year, she moved to 10-year-olds. It was a very demonic season of my life. And uh, the, the, the room was 30 feet uh, in, in, in square. And I know this because I would sit in the back and, and she could reach me from the front of the class. Her finger was like 30 feet long. And she'd tell, you're going to hell. She talked about hell like she was born and raised in hell. And one day she said, don't you want to go to heaven? And I said, not if you're going to be there. So we had tension. But, but the truth is, in those years, I didn't think God loved me much. My mom and dad went through a major divorce. It was really a difficult season. And I thought it was my fault. So I, I got to ask you, how, how good do you think my prayer life was? How, how much do you think I worshiped? How many dreams do you think I was dreaming for the Lord? I'll tell you, when, when God called me to be in the ministry, I, th I just thought I was a horrible pick. I still do. But I'll tell you where I get my confidence. I know he picked me. I think it was a bad pick, but I know he picked me. God has picked you for something too, bro. It's not just for a Cajun, it's for everybody. And so in 2 Kings chapter 6, just to set this up, because what I'm going to talk about, you guys are in a series right now, and um, that I didn't, I didn't prepare this sermon for the series, but it's, it's about keeping your peace. And what are you calling it? Don't miss peace or missing peace. P-E-A-C-E. But I'm going to speak to you about fear. And, um, and I decided this sometime back. And I think this is a huge point because the Bible, if it says it a lot, a professor told me in college, he said, if I say it a lot in the class, then it's going to be on the test. 
And the reason why it's the most recurring topic in the Bible, the most perpetual and recurring over and over again topic, more than even love, is because the Lord knew that we were going to deal with it a lot in, in our life. And uh, it looks like I'm smoking up here, but I promise I'm not. <laughs> Take another hit. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> it's good to preach high. <laughs> not really. But in, in 2 Kings chapter 6, in 2 Kings chapter 6, there was this guy cutting down a tree and he lost his cutting edge. And I want you to think about your life. Like, have you lost your edge? Okay, another way to say it, are you at the peak of your relationship with the Lord? I've had a lot of valleys right now. I, I think I'm pretty close to a peak, but it has a lot to do with this, this, what I'm talking about right now. This guy was cutting down a tree and he lost his cutting edge. And instead of just faking it, just hitting the tree with vibration, he decided to tell somebody like Charles did when he realized, hey, I'm going, I'm, I'm, I'm tired. And so this young man, he was probably a teenager, he went to Elisha and he said, hey, I, I lost my cutting edge. And what Elisha said is so good. He said to him, he said, he said, where did you lose it? And he told him. And then they went together and got it back. So I'm asking you right now, do you have your edge? And if you don't, where did you lose it? And let's go back and get it in Jesus' name. But I'm going to tell you what's associated with that, whether it created it or partnered with it, and that is the spirit of fear. And God hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. And if you're dealing with anxiousness, I could show you in Scripture that it's 100% related to pride. Because when you're dealing with anxiousness, you... You're holding on to it instead of giving it to the Lord. The Bible says you cast your cares upon the Lord. It doesn't mean cast like fishing. It's you bring it to the altar and you drop it and you decide I'm not picking this thing back up. And that's what this guy did when he got his cutting edge back. So I, I want to preach to you as bold as I can about be, be not afraid. What's happened is fear has become such a part of some of our lives that we just put it in everything. It's, it's like me. I I, you can look at me and tell I don't eat that good. You know, I don't eat right. And I love chocolate, but I love Reese's peanut butter. But what I really like is Dove chocolate over peanut butter. And I have these candies in my office, and, uh, but I can't eat them because if I eat one, I'll eat the whole jar. And so what I've learned is if I, if I just take one and go get in my truck and then eat it there, uh, I'll get back out of my truck and go back in and get another. <laughs> All right. But if I drive a half a mile down the road and then eat it, then I'll turn around and go back to my office and eat another. One. But if I go a mile or two down the road and then eat it, then I don't turn around. So the question has to be, why do I keep them in my office? Why don't you just take them out? Because I like looking at them. And that's the way it is with fear. It's like a part of our life, get that, it's probably my mom. And fear, is, it's just, it's, it's a part of our life and it becomes like a fixture that we like looking at. And, uh, but we're gonna destroy that today, amen? 
in Psalms 34, verse 4, I think the screen is right above my head. It says, I prayed to the Lord and he freed me from all, everybody say all, all my fears, not some of them, but all of them. So what are you afraid of? What is keeping you from being where God could really use you? Some of you, you're led more by your feelings than you are by faith. Someone said that a person is led by their feelings is like someone who's on a sailboat, wherever the wind blows, that's where they're headed. But a person is led by faith is like a person on a steamboat and wherever the captain is saying go, that's where they go. So are you being led by your feelings? Or are you being led by faith? Because if you're led by your feelings, you migrate towards comfort. I just want everything comfortable. And that has nothing to do with faith. And the Bible even says, and here's the big rebuke, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So whatever is of fear is sin. And it really, to get it back, you have to, you have to repent from it. So I want you to get a picture of this before I set this up. I've raised four kids and all of my kids now are married. In fact, all four of my daughters, my two daughters and my two daughter-in-laws are all pregnant this year with a grandbaby. And, uh, and my youngest daughter who has no kids this week. She, she's due Thursday. And uh, so I'm, I'm pumped about that. But when my kids were all in the house, it was so awesome. But there were times where you just give them a tip. And there were other times where you told, you'd tell them something serious. The tip would be, don't run through the living room, don't hit your brother, eat all your food, turn off the light. But there were other times where you knew if they didn't get what you were telling them, that it could kill them. And uh, so you bring that four-year-old close to you and you say, look at me, look at me. And you grab him by the face because a four-year-old will not look at you, right? They look everywhere. No, look at me. And they will not. Look at me. Do you want me to do to you what I did to your older brother? I don't have an older brother. See, that's what I'm saying. Do you want me to do that? And then finally they look at you and you tell them, listen, when that ball goes out into the road, you cannot go get that ball anymore. You just wait. You let me know or your mom know and we'll get it. Listen, when a stove is on, you can't just go and put your hand on the stove. You can't lick your finger and stick it in an outlet. We, we, got, we got work to do around here. You got to be smart. And in this sermon that I'm about to unfold to you, I want you to picture it. God is grabbing your face saying, look at me. Look at me. Because if you don't get this right, it's going to destroy you. And that's the reason why so often in the word on this fear. So I'm going to get all of this from one passage of scripture and it's in the book of Luke. And I love the book of Luke because it's, it's, it's somebody a, a little bit like you because it was a person who had a dual job. He, it was Luke. If I ask you who are the disciples, you may think Luke was one of them. He was not. He, he probably never saw one miracle that Jesus did. Because he got saved in Paul's missionary journeys, probably in Antioch, where we were first called Christians. This brother was a doctor. And so he gave his heart to the Lord and he had a real passion for accuracy. That's why two of his books that he wrote made the cut with the canon of Scripture. And a lot of people think Paul wrote most of the New Testament, but the, the, honestly, Luke did. Paul wrote the most books. Luke wrote the most words. 
He wrote the entire book of Luke and the entire book of Acts. And he wrote them both to a friend named Theophilus who was lost and he wanted him saved. Like you're never going to understand the vision of this church. I don't care how long you come here until you bring someone here with you who's broken down and they need Jesus and you watch them meet Christ right here in this place and it's happened many times. Glory be to God. Come on, man. Let's praise God for that. So this brother, he starts writing this intense stuff. And uh, he was interviewing people. He found the people that were there when Jesus fed 5,000. And he just interviewed. He's writing all this down. Something like, hey, Jesus just catered in the food that day, right? No, to be honest with you, it was just one kid with a Lunchable. And he multiplied it, 5,000 people in our hands. And then he found Mary. Mary, how'd you find out you were pregnant? A doctor told you, right? I'm a doctor, let me know. She goes, no, it was an angel. She's just given all this and he's documenting it. And right in the middle of it all, this passage of scripture is 100% red ink if you have a Bible with red letter edition. And this is what he says. Now, I wanna ask for you to replace the words that are written here because Jesus was using very modern in the time, not modern, but it was, it was relevant. He was using terms that caused them to be afraid then. If he was in Ocala now walking around, he would use terms that you could understand. And this is what he said. And Jesus said to his disciples, he goes, listen, listen, guys. He's grabbing them by the face. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you're going to eat or about your body or what you're going to wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. Now he's getting ready to talk about ravens. And a raven, I'm not a bird watcher. I hope I don't really look like a bird watcher. I don't know what a bird watcher looks like, but I don't watch bird. Any bird watchers in here? Okay, these are people that study them. And they, I've read that a raven is just a rat with wings. It's a rat that flies around. And, and God is saying this about ravens. He said, consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or born yet. God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than a bird, bro? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? In other words, it doesn't even work. Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry? Why? About the rest. Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon. And all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into a fire, is just dead, how much more will he clothe you, you little faith? And do not set your heart on what you're going to eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father, everybody say father. He knows that you need them, but seek his kingdom. And these things will be given to you as well. And do not be afraid. Little thought, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom, okay? So how do you live a fear-free life? If you're missing peace, how do you get this? Number one, uh, worry, knowing this, worry places a huge limit on your life. A huge limit on your life. Uh, the Lord loves to hear what you're dreaming about and he wants to break you free from anything you're afraid about. And there was one guy in the Bible, blind Bartimaeus, and he was screaming out, Jesus, have mercy on me. And, and all of the religious people around him were sick and tired of him yelling. 
And they looked at him and they said, stop yelling. His name was Blind Bartimaeus. Very important. So he, they said, Blind Bartimaeus, stop yelling. And the Bible says he yelled all the more. It reminds me a little bit of Charles because if I was to tell Charles, Charles, I'm sick and tired of hearing about your dream for this church, he would say, let me just tell you one more time. And that's kind of what's happening with Blind Bartimaeus, all right? And uh, so Jesus, though, it's really bizarre. I like to look at scripture uh, Simple and deep. Jesus walks over to blind Bartimaeus. Two things we know about him. His name was Bartimaeus and he was blind. But listen to what Jesus said to him. And I want you to think about you. Jesus went up to him and he said, uh, hey, what do you need? What is it you want me to do for you? Well, everybody had to be thinking, Jesus doesn't even know he's blind. How could, Jesus has got to be tired. Maybe he's been working. He works as hard as Charles. We got to do something for him. Listen, Jesus wasn't tired. And Jesus was not off track. Okay, well then the question is obvious. Well then why would he ask a blind man what he wants? I'm going to tell you why. Because the, love, the Lord loves to hear what you're dreaming about. And when you're afraid, what we end up doing is we gripe about things that we're afraid of more than we, we let him know what we're believing for. And, and the Lord is saying, what do you want? And he said, I want to be able to see. Listen, I double dog dare you to go home at some point today. I don't care if you're barely a believer, if you've been a believer for a gazillion years, go home and let the Lord know what you want to do in your lifetime. Some of you might say, well, I got 20 years experience around the things of God. Most of you, it's just really one year repeated 20 times because you're in a cycle of fear. That's what the Israelites, they, 40 years out in the desert where it should have been nine days before they got to the promised land, but it was like, take another lap. And this cycle, it's destroying us. So to stretch your brain on this, my... We're all going to die in Jesus' name. We're going to go to heaven. How many want to go to heaven, all right? It's a good time to vote. But when you, when you get to... My, my wife, she is a health nut. She only eats stuff that, that is green or fruits and vegetables. Like, it's kale. If you ever eat raw kale, it's just so bad. And I, told her, I said, babe, you know, you look good, but you're still going to die. And I don't even like saying that, but it's going to happen. But when you die, you're going to have a nasty taste in your mouth. But me, I'm going with Reese's peanut butter cup. Double meat cheeseburgers with bacon. I'm going to be happy and you're going to be sad until you see Jesus. But, so it's the talk we always have. But when we see Jesus, I want you to get a picture of this for a second. When you get to heaven, first of all, there's going to be three surprises. You're going to be surprised who's there. You're going to be surprised who's not there. And you're going to be surprised you're there. And it's going to be awesome. And you're just going to see Jesus. When you see the fire in his eyes, read about it in the book of Revelation. And he looks at you with a compassion that you've, you've never been looked at like this. And when you see the enormity of him, how big he is, how powerful he is. But there's a weird verse that has to be unpacked. And sadly, I can't unpack it today because I don't know why it's there. But it sure sounds good on paper. 
And this is what it says. It says in heaven, while we're all in heaven, he's going to go around. He's going to wipe tears from our eyes. Doesn't it sound good? Okay, but being a Cajun, you have to wonder, what are we going to cry about there? Like, what are we going to cry about there? Well, I don't know. But I can conjecture and just go with one idea. Maybe it will be when you see how big he is and how powerful he is, maybe you will look back to now and think, why was I so afraid? If I would have known, because in heaven we won't have faith. Now we live by faith. There you'll see it. If I would have known he was that powerful and that big and that gracious and that loving, I wouldn't have pivoted away. Some of you, you won't even tithe or even try to get closer to that because of fear, like, gosh, I just can't. It's gonna, I'm going to destroy it all. But others of you do it because you know 90% with God's blessing is way more than 100% without it. And you're just trying to figure out how to get in serving and faithful to the church. When everybody's not doing their part, I'll tell you what happens, pastors get burnt out because there's a lot to do. And you have a vision, and, and this cannot be on the shoulders of 50% of the people. Everybody has to carry their part, even if you've only been here a week. We welcome you to help and serve in Jesus' name. Can I have an amen in that? But maybe the tear will come from when we look at God and Jesus and is right in front of us and think back to now. And think, Man, why was I so afraid? Do you know how many of you young people choose a major in college that they hate? because the one they're supposed to do, they're too afraid to try it. Do you know how many people, men and women, have been going down the road and God dropped a business idea in them, but they never did it because they're afraid. How many jobs you could go and interview for? Right now is a season where business people cannot find employees. But you won't try because what if it doesn't work out? Go anyway. And then look at them and say, hey, I'm a, I'm a believer and I'll show up early. I'll go the extra mile. I won't be gossiping about this place. You can count on me. I'm going to work harder than you. I love Ocala because you can see work everywhere here. Dual trucks everywhere. Ranchers. These people work. So one time, to confirm what I'm teaching you is not heresy. One time Jesus told the disciples, he said, hey, Bros, y'all get in a boat and we're going to go to the other side. I've been to the Sea of Galilee and you can see the other side. It's not that big. It's a, it's a lake. It's not even a sea. And so they got in and he said, hey, we're going to go to the other side. But as they were going to the other side, a storm hit. You're either in a storm right now or you just came out of one or you're about to go through one. And don't let a prosperity preacher teach you that if you're serving Jesus, you won't have difficult days. These brothers were in the boat with Jesus. And so here it is, the storm hit and it was, there was some anxiousness and fear. And such a bizarre scripture. Because the scripture says that they looked over, they were about to die, and they looked over and Jesus was sleeping. But I want you to see what fear does to people. This is Satan's goal for you. 
So one of them, and we don't know which one, it didn't make the cut to put his name in, but he goes over and he shook Jesus. And I want you to listen to what he said. And this is what happens if you live around fear long enough. And he shook Jesus. He said, Jesus, we're going to drown. Next, next part. This is it. Jesus, don't you care? You don't care, do you? This is exactly what happened with Martha and Mary. Jesus was at their house. To invite Jesus in your home is so much pressure. You want to get it right. You love him. And Martha's doing all this work. And then finally she looks over and her sister's not helping. She calls out Jesus. Jesus, my sister's not even helping me. Don't you care? If you live around fear long enough, there'll come a day where you'll just look at Jesus and go, he doesn't even care what I'm going through. But what's really the problem is that you're living and you've built a life in fear. Number two. Are y'all tracking with me? Seeking God's kingdom first gives us an unintimidating view. I I wish I could unpack this one slower. But I want to give you a quick lesson. I, I have to travel a lot and I don't really like doing it much, but I travel a lot and And um, when I'm in a hotel room, it's very common for people to leave things in a hotel room. But if you do what I'm getting ready to tell you, you will never leave anything. And what we do is we get everything ready. Michelle and I will get everything right. And then we walk around the room saying it out loud. I'm forgetting something. I just don't know what it is. I'm forgetting something. I just don't know what it is. I wish I knew what it was. I know it's something. And every time we'll find something somewhere. And I I just think it's a great way to live your life. Like, I'm forgetting something in my relationship with the Lord. I just don't know what it is. I'm forgetting something. This scripture that I read earlier says, seek first the kingdom of God and he'll add everything. There's two options for all of us. You have the world and you have the way of Christ. Jesus is the only way. Can I have an amen on that? But the reason why people choose the world, I don't know if you ever thought about this, is because of fear. Why would I say that? Well, you're afraid that if you choose Jesus, you'll be lonely. You'll never be able to have sex. You'll never get married, I should say. You'll, you'll never have friends. But I've seen so many people on this road and after years of being there, it's like, man, pastors get a good view on this. And it's like, man, I've been punked. This is not what I thought it was gonna be. But the beautiful thing is you can repent and then serve the Lord. And as you're serving the Lord, all the reasons why you're afraid so you went down this road, you get all of that by serving him and then he adds unto you the things as you're serving him. Amen? And then number three, it's, it's a real reason why I'm here. Number three is related to your father, father in heaven. Fear cannot coexist when God is seen as a loving father. He said, do not be afraid, little father, for your father. Everybody say it again, Father. All right, so I'm gonna close out on this. One of the greatest people of faith that I've ever met is my mom B. I am a Cajun, which pretty much means that I will eat anything that lives in a ditch. And, uh, and then I have a weird accent, especially around Cajun people. You don't hear it right now because it kind of leaves you, but, uh, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm as Cajun as you could. My real name, the way you say it is Bizet. My grandmother couldn't speak English until 
She was 13 years old and her mom didn't speak English until she was 25. And they all talk like that. How you doing? Oh, like that, right? And uh, my mama B is the sweetest. Like, she would lead more people to the Lord by accident than most people could deliberately. She would answer the phone. Remember landlines when you had your phone? It was attached to young people. It would be attached to the wall. And, uh, and she would answer the phone every time. Jesus loves you. I know that for sure. Sweetest lady. If you'd ever visit her, she'd be outside waiting for you to pull in. And when you would leave, she would wait there, waving and praying in the spirit for you as you drove away. Well, when we were about to have our first service as a church, I was so afraid, Charles. I just didn't think it was going to work. I still wonder that sometimes. And so I called my mama who was dying with cancer six hours away in Baton Rouge. I live in Arkansas. And I called her. She said, oh, Rick, I just love you so much. And I said, Mama, I'm afraid. She said, oh, Rick, you don't have to be afraid. I said, Mama, I just believe if you somehow could come to our first service and pray over me, that I would, I would be able to do this thing. And she said, oh, Rick, I, I'm down to 89 pounds. I haven't left the house in three months. I cannot do it. And I didn't want her to feel bad, so I interrupted. It's okay, Mama, you can pray from there. Oh, Rick, I'll pray from here. I guarantee you I'll pray from here. That was about 30 days before our first service. February the 4th, 2001, at about 9.45 in the morning, I was in a room praying and I was losing my mind. And there was a knock on the door and I answered it and it was my frail 80 pound grandmother with a big smile. She said, oh, Rick, I just had to come, I just had to come. She put her arms around me and prayed over me and I felt that spirit of fear leave. I mean, crystal clear. And I still sense it with me every day when I pastor, to be honest with you. I just, I slip every now and then, but this is what I want to see happen to you. And I said earlier that we were going to believe in it. Psalms says that I sought the Lord, I cast my cares on him, and he freed me from all of my fears. And that's what I want to see happen to you. Do you mind if I tell you one more thing? My son was in a wedding one time when he was four years old, and he had to carry his Bible in, my Bible. And it was the weirdest request. He said, I'll do it. So we went through the wedding rehearsal, and he aced it. But then the wedding day, he was acting weird. Nothing will make you weirder than fear. My happy son... I was like, son, are you okay? And he finally just got honest. He goes, no, dad, I'm gonna mess up the wedding. I don't remember what to do. It's just, ah. And I said, son, it's all you gotta do, boy. I'm gonna be up front. And when those doors open up, you just do two things. You keep your eyes on me and you carry the Bible. He goes, dad, that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna carry the Bible. And what's the other one? 
So you keep your eyes on me, son. You just keep your eyes on me. I'll let you know what's going on. I'm keeping my eyes on you, Dad. But what's the other one? So you got to carry the Bible, too. You got to carry that Bible. I'm, I'm carrying the Bible, Dad. But what's the other one? And all day long we're going through this. So now it's wedding time, and I'm, I'm nervous. I don't even know if he's on the property. I'm up front. I'm nervous. And they open the door, and my son was doing two things. He was staring at me, kept his eyes on me, and he's holding up Bible. Like, <laughs> I mean, I'm just laughing. My, I just couldn't believe how hard he was working on those two things. And so I told him, start moving. And he's like Frankenstein. <laughs> and then finally, as he gets closer, he gets more relaxed. And by the time he got up to front, he handed me the Bible. And he's like, what's up? He was confident. Afterwards, I told him, I said, son, you did so good. But then the Lord showed me, he goes, people that you pastor, they need to know when they're afraid of a door that is closed or a door that is about to open to do two things. Keep your eyes on the Father and carry the Word. I'm going to keep my eyes on the Father, but what's the other one? <laughs> carry the Word. I'm carrying the Word. What's the other one? Keep your eyes on the Father. Listen to me. It really is. It's not more complicated than that. If you're bound by fear, just keep your eyes on the Father and carry the Word. This church can really make a difference. But they're trying to include you. They don't have a vision for some. It's for all. But you will never connect with it if you're led by fear and not by faith. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Lord, I thank you for being here. Thank you for this church. Bless this church. Let your face shine upon them. Thank you, Lord God, for the worship and the anointing and the teaching and Charles and the way he preaches and leads. Thank you for Andrew, for the team. And I ask God, do you just move about, whether it's somebody in a booth right now helping with a microphone or people are greeting at the door, people help cut the grass here, and people who pray for one another, people working in kids' ministry, whatever it might be, Lord, I pray that everyone will do it without fear. Again, let your face shine upon them. I pray they'll be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. I pray that this church will always be able to lend and not borrow. And I pray that every place they put their foot to go, they'll do it with faith and confidence in you. If you're here right now and for some reason, you don't have the edge, that cutting edge, and you want to get it back, then I just spoke on fear, so don't be afraid to respond. But if that's you, then just look up at me until I see you all around this place. And I see you. I got it. Anybody else? I see it. Got it. Anybody else? Okay. Bound by fear. Afraid. The enemy's whispering in your, your ear. I see it. I see it. Man, there's people everywhere. Go ahead and stand up, if you will. Some of you are rededicating your life to the Lord. Some of you are meeting Christ for the first time. But instead of asking you to reach up to the heavens, some of you, that might be awkward for you. But if you could, just open your hands. You can be low, but just open your hands because the Bible says when you do that, you're doing it without anger, without frustration, and you're doing it without confusion, confusion or doubt. Everyone say this out loud. Say, Lord God, I am a sinner.
and I repent of my sin. I repent of my fear. Be the center of my life. I turn to you. I'm sorry for not trusting you. From this day forward, I trust you. I thank you for the blood on the cross. I thank you for that old rugged cross. I thank you for your Holy Spirit. I thank you for the church. I thank you for heaven. And I want to be free. Free indeed. So I serve you. I confess that you are my Lord. And I renounce fear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks so much for listening to this message. If you've made a decision today to follow Jesus for either the first time or the hundredth time, shoot us an email at info at Revo Church FL with the subject line, I've decided. And let us know where you're listening from because we want to celebrate with you. Check us out on our socials at Revo Church FL to stay plugged in with what's happening within our community. And we believe it's going to be your best day ever if it's your best day spiritually.